it's past time to broaden the narrative. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Broadening the Narrative. This is a podcast where I talk to some of my favorite people who have broadened the narrative for me. I'm your host, Nikki Pappas, and I'm so glad you're here. On today's episode of Broadening the Narrative, I am joined by Denissa Young. We will be discussing art and her work as an artist. Before we begin, I just want to say that Denissa is one of my favorite people because of the way that she brings groups of people together and makes everyone feel included. You radiate such joy, Denissa, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say today. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Well, let's jump in. Can you tell us a little about yourself and your background? Yeah, so like Nikki said, I'm Denisa Young. I'm a Spanish and Native American relational artist. I was born in New Mexico, but I moved around a ton as a kid, and I'm newly based in Chicago, which is very exciting. I just moved here. Crazy to move in a pandemic, but here we are. Um, Yeah, my pronouns are she and her, and I really care about people and understanding and belonging and the arts, so yeah. That's kind of a little bit about my background. (laughs) Yes, thank you for sharing that. And I definitely see in you just the ways that you care about people and honor their humanity. So I'm so excited to have you. Well, what narrative were you taught or did you believe about artists and creating art when you were younger? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I think I was told or it was reiterated to me that art was easy. Like it was an easy topic. It was an easy thing to study. Uh, It was always like really fun and like Mm. juicy, which is like really great (laughs) way to enter into art, I think. And my parents always like taught me to like do what I loved. And often what we love isn't easy. So I think I, yeah, I believed a lot that it was just kind of like, you know, (laughs) loosey-goosey, I guess. Yeah. So when did you begin creating art? I think I've always been making art. I loved like painting and drawing as a kid, which as a mom, you probably often are like giving your kids something to do with their hands. And so I was homeschooled until about fifth grade and there was like a lot of freedom to create. I was involved in like dance. Um, Yeah, I was actively always artistic with my brothers and I really loved photography growing up as a kid. And my mom used to take us to CVS and be like, you can pick one toy. And I would always, always pick a disposable camera. I think I just like loved keeping memories of friends. And yeah, I was like a very nostalgic kid and very dramatic, which no one should be surprised (laughs) knowing me now. (laughs) But I was also like very sensitive. And so I just like loved to reminisce. So I would just like take photos um, of all the places I lived and all the friends I had because I, yeah, I'm from New Mexico, but I moved around a lot as a kid. And I went to like three high schools in four years and subsequently as an adult has have moved a ton so yeah I think I just like these like tactile objects and I really cared about nostalgia which I think is where creating first began for me. Wow I love that so much so you were always kind of creating but can you point back to anything that prompted you to create art that you could feel in you or anything like that? Yeah I think it was like the need to remember um Mm. 
I loved Harriet the Spy growing up as a kid. That movie, I don't know if yeah remembers that. Yeah, it was like on an orange VHS, like a Nickelodeon movie. It was awesome. And she was like taught to write everything down so she would like never forget. And I think the photographs for me growing up were like <laughs> had these items that I would never forget, like really tactile things to keep and to hold on to. And then I think that morphed into, you know, going to school for art and now like an art career, which is pretty crazy I think what yeah I think my brother prompted me to create I think my my whole family they're pretty creative in what they do my oldest Mm -hmm. brother is a pastor and the brother that's a year older than me he's a freelance photographer and my mom was always really creative and my dad was always like really silly so like there's just like lots of room to create I think in our family we were always like you know I don't know doing stuff with each other and yeah, excited to kind of show each other what we made or, you know, cootie catchers. I don't know, like all these kind of like just 90s, 2000s childhood things. Like that's when like Photoshop and all these kind of like online programs were coming about. Like I definitely remember when we were kids, we used to play this game called, I think it was called Easy DJ. And we would like make like songs and DJ like on our like one tiny desktop computer and just get like really pumped about it. Like we were just like really nerdy, just like spending time together, like making stuff as siblings. Oh, I love that so much. Well, um, so you mentioned doing art as a career now. So what types of art do you create? So I create mostly video performance and relational art. So I would say performance art is the larger category that I fall under. And that's like maybe most simply described as art that involves the body, time, and space. And so I make a lot of experiences or moments or happenings that are in a specific time at a specific location. And then the best way for those to be viewed is like video. That's why they're called like video performances. So the final product is a video. And then I also make, um, yeah, relational art, which involves other people. It's a lot about um, connection and about activating a space and that community and people coming together is what like the art is really about. So I also make, you know, I don't know. I feel like a real artist, like wherever the idea takes me, I'm just like learning how to make clothes or (laughs) learning how to like make a box out of wood because I need that or yeah it's kind of just this like free-flowing thing but my main mediums are video performance and relational art yeah well I can't wait later in this conversation to get into more about a performance piece that I saw but before we get there um, who or what has inspired you as an artist and how so so I would say the biggest inspiration was probably my brother Spencer he's a year older than me and like I said, he's a photographer. He was always like drawing and doing graphic design and like making stuff in his room. <laughs> Just like this very kind, sweet, introverted man of a brother that I like love dearly. He went to Savannah College of Art and Design. And so when he was like going this, you know, thinking about going to college, he was like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, wait, you can go to college for this? This is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wanted to be like him. I think I wanted to create like him and though we're really different in the ways that we're making I think a lot of our style or integrity I think comes from like this work hard attitude that we have as a family um yeah and then I've I feel besides my brother I think other inspirations for creating is like I just like love this idea that I was made by a creator right like I believe that like there's a God and he created me very specifically and very on purpose and so I think that inspires me to create knowing that it's maybe like inherently inside of me. 
um, I was also just like very curious as a kid. I've been thinking a lot about like this origin story kind of idea, like where, yeah, where did this all start even before you uh, invited me here? But I was always really curious and I would always just like rummage through people's bags and purses. <laughs> I would definitely get caught like at church or like, you know, uh, in the nursery, just like in some bag, like fully just pulling stuff out and being like, what do you use this for? Like, why do you carry band-aids? Just like really interested in people. And so um, I think that inspired me, like being around others. And the first church we ever went to was a Spanish English church and all of the old ladies like played tambourine in the audience. And so I always felt like really comfortable like expressing myself and like using my body as like a way of, yeah, like worshiping or using my body like in laughter or like, you know, I had brothers, so we'd be like wrestling around. Like, I think there's just something about like having a deep connection to my body that felt like I like was empowered to create. Oh, all of that is so beautiful. The connection <laughs> with your brother, but also the connection to being created and being a creator out of that. And then your curiosity, like that's just so cute to think of little Denissa digging through bags. <laughs> I think honestly think of like grown me, but just a smaller with cheeks that are like twice the size and like no knuckles. Just like, you know, like fingers. It's like, yeah. And I like, I think physical touch is, has a big part in that of creating like, and friendship, like these moments of wanting to make something happen for people to feel like they could belong. Um, yeah, with moving around so much, I think I just, I was tired of being the new kid so often. And, and so I think I thought a lot, like, how could the art be something that creates relationship, that creates friendship, that creates a moment together, even if it's fleeting, that maybe there could be commonality and maybe I could be that commonality to other people. Mm. Yeah. And my brother, I think he, I don't know, sometimes with my siblings, like we love to be like each other and then we love, we hate to admit it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, he's a huge inspiration to me. He's just like making it in Houston. Like he works with Simone Bile and he's like on Nike shoots and like, what? he's amazing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, he's the real artist. Of the <laughs> <laughs> um, which is cool. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you mentioned this earlier, like the nostalgia and the making mm-hmm. memories. And even here, as you're saying, just connecting with people and belonging. So is there anything you would add for how creating art has shaped your life? For sure. I think it's taught me to care for myself. I think this is a big thing that I've been thinking about the last, you know, probably since college, you know, I graduated in 2015. So five years out, which is crazy, but I think it's a way that it's shaped kind of how I see myself, how I see the world, how I see others. I think I'm often like filtering things through the eyes of art. Like I'm taking a lot of photos, even if it's like on a walk, like I've been documenting um, all the masks on the street since I moved to Chicago. And so uh, maybe that won't turn into anything, but I'm like collecting a lot, which I think is a really cool way of intaking the world by, yeah, seeing and responding to what we're seeing. I think it's made me more attentive and intentional, uh, gentle, a lot slower, which I'm none of, I'm not slow in life. I'm like a flaming extrovert that's always going a million miles per hour. Yeah. I think it's really taught me, yeah, how to tune in and like, why does, you know, when I go to a gallery, I'm like, why does this other artist want me to focus on this doorknob, you know? And I just like get really like into my own brain and I'm like, why, why do they care about the doorknob and why should I care about it? And yeah, it feels like this connection point 
And I think that's like shaped the way that I move through the world through collaboration, through like groups of people. I think a lot of my closest friends have come from, you know, groups that I've been involved in, whether they're collaborative groups or projects for art or exhibitions. And yeah, I think it, it keeps me close to God. It keeps me grounded in my body, which I think is important. I think growing up in the church, which I would love to know what you think about this, but growing up in the church, I think I often was taught to like put others first, which is beautiful, right? It's a great concept if we are caring for ourselves first. Mm. I think somehow I missed that part. <laughs> so I think, at, you know, at 27, I'm like relearning how to care for myself. And if I want to stand up for, you know, three hours doing a performance, like I have to have a strong core, which means I have to like exercise and like eat the right things and like really care for this body that I was like gifted you know yeah I love you bringing that up because I feel like too for me like I'm 30 (laughs) and Mm -hmm. beginning to question how I feel like yeah what I was taught about caring for myself would then translate to being selfish or like loving yourself is selfish but it's been recently to figure out like we went to a church where the benediction was we want to love God completely so we can love ourselves correctly in order to love our neighbors compassionately. Mm. And that was just last year sitting in that and, and realizing that what I had been taught or internalized was always like, Oh, we don't need to love ourselves because we already do. But I started to see like, well, there's a difference between a narcissistic selfish focused on my self-love versus, oh, I'm made in the image of God and the same way I care for others and have compassion towards them. I need to be having that same compassion toward myself. And obviously going to therapy has helped a ton. So I feel, yeah. Totally. And like, what is it? I don't know. I've been thinking about the verse, like, love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. I think maybe growing up and then, you know, 2000s in the church, like the as yourself part was never explained to me. Right. And exactly what you're saying, like it, it's supposed to be natural or it's supposed to come from, you know, all these other things. And so I guess I'm just trying to be really intentional of not giving from a place of emptiness. I often have been giving out of nothing and that's not helpful Mm. (laughs) and it's not helpful to show up to an event or with a friend and be like angry or sad or, you know, um, when, when you're, because I've overcommitted, not because being angry or sad is like inappropriate, but just because I've like, I'm exhausted because I forgot to care for myself. Yeah. I, you know, it's like days could pass and I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot to eat. Cause I was so busy, like mm-hmm. running around or like doing instead of being. And so I think I'm learning. Yeah. Through my art and to be, I think when I graduated college, I felt like there were two trajectories like, oh, this relational art feels very external, feels very like maybe what God calls me to as like an extrovert, as someone who's a community builder, someone who like loves other people. But then I felt like this other fork in my practice was uh, this slow contemplative like video work that was so strange, honestly, to watch like these sort of moving paintings that just created room for my own contemplation. They felt like, you know, really small things that just kind of like these little performances that felt like they meant nothing. But then like when I would think about them more, they would turn into something else. And so even like letting myself explore what I thought was visually appealing or what felt good in my body or what was like fun. Um, And so I think I've been learning a lot through letting the art transform, my own art transform me and then letting the art of others like kind of wash over me and 
teach me something. I think that's what all art can do. It can, it can teach us, it can change us, it can create social change, it can create, you know, art as activism, I think is something I think about a lot. It's not just making for the sake of making in my own room by myself. It's like to create, yeah, to fight the evil in the world, to mm. have conversations, to move things forward, you know? Yeah. I love you going here with that with this <laughs> conversation. Yeah, because I think a lot of it too roots back into like boundaries and mm. <laughs> learning to accept boundaries for ourselves. Why you got to say my least favorite word? <laughs> But even just like the internal boundaries, right? To like know mm -hmm. yourself well and to know when to engage, when to step back and to trust yourself and trust your body mm -hmm. is really important and sounds like it's, you know, even though it's a new phenomenon for you already shaping you, which makes me think like in these different times in your life and as things have been shaping your art throughout your life, have there been evolutions in your art through that? hundred mm, percent. I mean, I used to make really dumb, bad art. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Or just like really blatant Christian art that sucked. And maybe that's growing up, like watching, you know, movies that we could all name that were just bad acting and like blessed <laughs> it because it was like made with the gospel in mind or like, you know, God's people made it. So therefore it's good. And my, in South Carolina, the team that I was working with there uh, with that nonprofit would call it like dove cross fish syndrome where like mm. artists feel the need to put, you know, the dove, the cross or the fish to call it Christian. And I just would make garbage stuff like that. That was so lame and like super shallow and I'll never tell anyone about it and I'll never share it. And all the photos are destroyed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think I thought my duty as an art school student was to engage in this one specific way, to like share Jesus in a way that was like, you know, I don't even know. Like it was just not good. Mm. <laughs> and I think I've learned to tell the truth and to tell it slant. I've learned to tell my truth, um, whether that's capital T truth for me or lowercase t truth and really um, leave room for ambiguity. Nobody likes to be told what to do <laughs> or how to feel, you know, we love freedom. We love to, to like explore. And so how do I create work that makes room for exp exploration? One artist that I, or, uh, like a peer that was with me in college, um, we met at a conference and he was talking about making art with a lot of crafted ambiguity. And I love that idea that you're, you're making room for everyone and everything that isn't like you. Mm -hmm. while still being authentic and specific, which I think is like, I don't know, the best part of art is that it's like, if you're trying to just talk about something broad, you're never going to, you're never going to hit anything because you're just talking about love. But if you talk about like that feeling you get when you knock on the door of your crush and you're like, oh my gosh, what are they wearing? Is there anything in my teeth? Like that's so mm -hmm. specific, right? And people can kind of relate to that or they know what butterflies feel like, or they know what that nervous energy feels like. So I think there's something in how I've um, morphed in showing rather than telling mm. or, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and then in practicality, like less meta in my brain, I, I mean, I used to be a photographer. That's what I got into school with a really garbage portfolio that I looked at the other day and I was like, how the heck did they let me into this really <laughs> prestigious art school with these? 
terrible photos. Mm. <laughs> um, and now like photo is never, is rarely my main or end goal. And so I think that's morphed too, not only conceptually with the way I'm making, but also physically what I'm making. Mm. So I think that's, yeah, that's a lot of transformation that has happened over the course of, I would say more specifically, yeah, from 2011 onward when I started, you know, I went to college and I started taking art seriously. Because I went to a really, I didn't say this in the intro, but I went to the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, a very small, prestigious art college. So I think even there being like a straight Christian woman was pretty like an anomaly, you know? Um, So really just like letting my environment and the people around me help like broaden my viewpoint of like, what is humanity? What is race, gender, you know? Yeah. What is queerness? What is, you know, all these kind of elements that I just was sheltered from. I mean, period, you know, we don't have like, yeah, I think some of it is the faith element. I think some of it was fear of my family. I think, yeah, so many things were just like broadened and like really being able to have conversation with anyone. I think that's what we were always taught growing up. Like, what does it look like to enter in with anyone and everyone, even if they're completely different than you, like you bleed the same blood. So there's a lot to relate on, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, I remember as you were talking now, that when we, one of our first conversations, you bringing that up about your experience in school and being, yeah, cisgender, heterosexual, like Christian, and then how that shaped you. So I've forgotten. So thanks for bringing that up again. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I talk about it a lot. Yeah. (laughs) I guess because I think, I think it's just so good for people to place themselves in the world with their, and be confident, you know, in their gender identity and in their racial or ethnic background. And yeah, these things should be normalized, you know, mm-hmm. and that everyone is different and unique. And I, I believe God made everyone that way on purpose. Yeah. And so the more I get to know other people, I think the more I get to know the one who created me, if we, if I'm believing that everyone is made in the image of God. Mm. Yes, that's so good. <laughs> uh, well, Denise, you brought up social activism. So I'm yeah. curious, has that come into play in your art at all? Yeah, I think um, this wave um, in quarantine of, of, you know, violence, particularly against Black and brown bodies in this moment, mostly against, you know, Black with Black Lives Matter, I think... Yeah. I think art as activism is something I'm often thinking about, like how can my art create social change? I don't think I've done enough work or research or, you know, self-analysis on how to really meld the two. I think I'm more focused on like the local offline kind of conversations in my activism. And with my job, like, you know, I mentor a lot of artists and young people. And so really bringing the conversation there Uh, And then through art, I think when there's gentleness and radical empathy and softness, I think there's just more inclination for those kinds of conversations. But I'm not like making work maybe specifically about what's going on. I think it just coexists with the times we're living in. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but it's something I'm thinking about a lot. Like what does it mean to be like a perceivably white or racially ambiguous woman in the world? making art that includes my body, right? Like it's mm-hmm. kind of feels inherently political as like Ai Weiwei says, or 
you know, Barbara Kruger, these other great artists that come before me who talk a lot about just the presence of a body makes it, yeah, political. And, and then mm-hmm. being a female body and being like a, yeah, cis female body and what does that mean? Um, so I think I'm, I'm really, you know, inkling to connect the dots. I think my organizational work f- focuses more on racial reconciliation or, or restorative justice, like about the projects that we're doing here in Chicago um, with the current nonprofit that I'm working for is a lot about platforming black artists. So I think that the social part is definitely very engaged in my work. I think the content of my work is not maybe specifically about activism, though I am an activist. Uh, I just want to say the words you used of like gentleness and radical empathy and softness, mm-hmm. like, oh, so much like Jesus, right? Like those words just make me feel the presence of Christ. And uh, I love that so much. Yeah, I mean, like he was like the greatest man of inclusion. Like he just, mm-hmm. he like wrecked social barriers between women, between prostitutes between thieves you know like we can you can if you know the bible you can go on and on about this and so I'm like why aren't his people replicating this and I would like my personal you know duty to be yeah reminding people who they are which I think is part of being to remind people yeah the parts of them that are very like God's image in them no matter what they believe or think like I think only uplifting and encouraging people is going to you know, help us build a unified community or a unified neighborhood, whatever we want to, whatever space we're occupying. But then also like this radical acceptance. Yeah. So if God's people aren't housing that radical acceptance or radical empathy or like, yeah, incredible softness, like we're missing the gospel. (laughs) We are missing, like we're reading two different Bibles because the man flipped tables. Like he was right. He was angry about people making a mockery of a place of worship. And how often am I, how often am I mocking God or mocking, you know, um, or not genuine or not authentic or not bringing my true self, even in the deepest presence of the Lord by myself. And then how often am I performing or pleasing people outside of that? And so, yeah, really trying to find a center of like, I am first loved and accepted by this like huge creator. So what does that mean? And how does that, you know, really radically transform everything I'm doing and hopefully everything I'm saying. And art isn't apart from that. I think growing artistically and spiritually, they're equal for me. (laughs) They're not, one isn't greater than the other because as I'm growing spiritually, it inspires me artistically. And as I'm growing artistically, it's getting me closer to the creator. And so they feel intrinsically like linked to me. Yeah. As well as activism. Like if we're not you know, changing, whether it's at our dinner table or in our household or with our neighbors or with our friends or, you know, with the people in Timbuktu, like what, what are we doing? Yes. <laughs> and that's coming from like a share, you know, I'm like an extreme connect. I'm always on like the extreme side of like, <laughs> I could probably talk to a brick wall and it might have fun, you know? So like, I know I'm coming from like high connector, high like energy, high like woo or whatever. But I do think in everyone's own respective self-loving way, we can be sharing and making a difference in a change, whether it's picking up a piece of trash or, you know, feeding the hungry or 
showing up at a protest or, you know, I think there's different ways for different people and it all can be with the help of moving humanity closer to love and softness and gentleness and restoration. I mean, you can insert any like feel good word there, you know? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm here to say right now, the brick wall would definitely have fun. Okay. (laughs) And and, yeah, you just reminded me of the late Rachel Held Evans when she talked about what makes the gospel so offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. Oh, come and on. just this, yeah, this inclusivity and this, like we, our shared humanity, like unites us and we're in this together. Like we are in this together. So thank you for sharing all that. I just loved it so, so much. So with this journey you've been on, mm-hmm has this narrative that you believe about artists and creating art changed? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm like, oh my gosh, in light of this conversation, I'm like always changing, you know, with other Mm. people. I'm always changing. I think I don't believe art is easy. I don't believe (laughs) artists have it easy Um, now for sure, especially being in many different forms of the art world, right? Like I was in it in a collegiate sense in Boston and then I was in it in like a practicing kind of going to galleries setting when I was in Turkey and then working as an arts organizer in South Carolina and now being like a practicing artist in a big city in Chicago. Like I've seen it in so many forms and I think there's a lot of othering that happens, right? Like artists are often the people in social groups who are just like othered, whether it's misunderstood, you know, we, we as artists host a lot of like, yeah, people of color, a lot of people in the LGBTQ plus community. Like there's a lot of um, safety, I think in the arts that I just didn't really realize before that there's like a lot of chosen family. There's a lot of acceptance. Um, And so I think I didn't realize maybe how understood one could feel once they were with their people inside the art space. Yeah. Oh. I think too practically, I used to think that art was just like drawing and painting. Um, And, you know, I didn't know it could be in that it was mostly based on like technique or skill. And I don't think that's true anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, I also used to think that art like had to be beautiful. And that's like a word that we were like, you know, it's like a swear word in art school, <laughs> Use the word beautiful, um, which is so different than I think what my faith was telling me had to be like wrapped up or like, you know, all the things had to be put into a very nice Jesus box, you know, and I think I have been challenged to be on the messy journey of humanity and be on the, you know, the parts that are really just hard and not to show the final product as like I am a okay you know or I was depressed and now I'm not it's like no I'm still depressed and this is you know still unfolding so I think it's been challenging me the journey of this narrative that yeah I have to be perfect in art and outside of it Mm. well can I ask you a question about something that isn't planned of course yeah. Okay. So I have this friend, Marquise, and okay. he, uh, he'll have an episode that from our recording is going to come out, you know, in two weeks, but it will have already come out by the time this airs, but his is about life as an artist. And I love one thing he said, and I was wondering if you could talk to this. Um, he said, 
I hope that people begin to ask questions, ask more questions. Don't just look at the art or the thing that you're experiencing as something that only holds entertainment value. I think that mm -hmm. it's that it's a person, an artist, a creative is a person that has literally decided to be vulnerable by exposing their art to you and sharing their heart, sharing their truth with you in hopes, not necessarily that you would understand it, but more so that they could be heard. Oh, come on. This man, I, I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> he just said it more eloquently than I did. And, and I think what's really, really crazy is actually like, um, some of the other prompts that you gave me to think about included exactly what he's talking about, asking more questions. Um, which I just think is so true. I think I've often, you know, people who are not in the arts will be like, oh my gosh, will you go with me to the museum? And I'm like, sure. And they're like, you can just like tell me everything I'm supposed to get. And I'm like, no, I will not go with you actually if that's how this is going to go. <laughs> I know, I don't, I know some art history maybe that you don't know, but you are capable of seeing art and let it, letting it affect you. You're, you just need to ask some questions or spend a little more time with it. And so I love that, that it's, yeah, it's about being known and knowing the artist and, and then knowing yourself if the artist isn't present, you know, how do you let the art read you or how do you, um, there's this author, his last name is Seidel and he talks about like letting the art do something to you. And when he started approaching art with that mentality of like, I, this art's going to do something to me. It's like you have this expectation that it's going to challenge you. It's going to invite you. It's going to, it's going to pat you on the back. You know, it's going to tell you you're cool. I don't know. It's going to do something to you. That's really different than being passive or that you have to get something from it. Yeah. Oh. I think we need to get it. I don't think we ever, I don't know if that's the artist. I never think, <laughs> well, Nikki's going to see this piece and she's going to understand everything about me. <laughs> it's just like impossible, right? Like there's too much nuance. And so I think I'm, yeah, I'm definitely always wanting people to come in hundred percent their whole self and then, and then like put it next to my art and then see how it feels. You know, what is it? What does it look like? What is it? feel like on your skin? What are you thinking? Maybe you're thinking nothing. That's like totally fine. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like that. I'm like, oh, I hope you walk away with this. I hope you walk away with like, you had some time and space to think and feel and see and know of me. And then maybe that's a reflection of yourself or maybe that's something totally different. Yeah. And I love that you going with someone, you're not going to give them quote answers because you're not, you're not going to take away from their journey of self-discovery as well as sitting with the art and spending time with it. Yeah. I don't have their eyes or their mind or their experiences. Like even if we grew up in the same town, we went, to, we have all the same friends. Like I could never be in their shoes. And so we're going to inherently see the same work of art in two very different ways. And that discrepancy is what's interesting to me in conversation. Mm. I like when we're similar. That's really fun. That's easy. Right. But I like when we're different because then I get to know more about the person. I get to know more. I see different things in the art. Sometimes I'm like, my partner and I will like look at the same piece and he's like, wow, this is blue. And I'm like, I didn't even see that that was blue. I am like very caught up on the way it smells. Mm. <laughs> or like, I just want to touch it. And he's like, I, love the shape of the canvas you know I don't know or like I love the way it's hanging like we're just inherently looking at the same thing but with very different eyes and I think that is just like a true picture of humanity like how different and similar we are and I love those discrepancies yeah and I love 
not trying to get someone to where you're thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because I think it honors their agency <laughs> to have a different opinion <laughs> and, um, and positions me to learn from someone rather than trying to be the teacher <laughs> of someone of like, see it the way I see it, but instead like, help me see it. Help me see what you see. Hmm. Yeah. And then, and then verbalize it in a way that I understand you, right? Like if you ask questions, you're kind of like seeking to understand. And I think that's really cool too. That's it's, it's coming side by side versus like, yeah, one person kind of superior or that's, that's not a like, no one's inferior. If you're speaking from an I perspective, it's true. What's true of you. I can't argue that. That's your, that's true. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I often think back to the performance piece that I came to see you do in 2018. So I was wondering, can you share about that piece and why you decided to do it, what it meant to you? Okay, I'm going to flip this script. I would love for you to tell me what you remember <laughs> from it and why it stuck out to you. That's like way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I remember there was ice yep. and I remember you were so cold. <laughs> Um, and you're trying to melt the ice and inside of the ice was, um, was there something with the velveteen rabbit? Yep. Wow. Yeah. Killing this. Yeah. And I just remember sitting there and I would get up and walk off and like come back and you're still at it, right? Still sitting with that ice and still using your body to melt it and, I just remember being really intrigued because I had never seen anything like that before. And it was actually just really beautiful to watch. Um, like I think about it a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know if you, did you say something about this, about depression or anything related to it? Yeah. I'm smiling yeah. so big. I can oh. from here. Wow, that like means a lot to me. Thank you for thinking about my work. That's like the biggest and truest like compliment. So thank you. Yeah, you, you killed it. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> there were three pieces of ice and suspended in the ice was, yeah, something different. So vulnerability was what I called the Velveteen Rabbit, just because if you haven't read that book, please go buy yourself a copy it is for children, but it will change your adult life. <laughs> it is your favorite book, right? Oh, it's my favorite book. I have so many copies of it, and I have gotten into so many bookstores and so many times in my life, and that book has popped up with a new cover and with, like, new insight and, like, new, like, wrapping its little velveteen rabbit arms around me and, yeah, reminding me of so much truth. It's amazing. It feels like a prophetic book that often walks into my life at really strange times, but... um. Yeah, and then the second one was called Crusty Love from My Boyfriend, <laughs> and it was dried flower petals from a bouquet, of course, that I had kept that he had sent me, and then the third one was like an antidepressant, like a pill that was suspended, and so I, yeah, over the course of two hours, I melted the ice with my body, kind of, yeah, thinking about what it meant to embody and to show what my depression feels like often. Mm. It feels like watching ice melt. Mm. And I I thought a lot about unthawing. I think that's a concept I say a lot. Like, oh, I'm just like unthawing from like these emotions or from, you know, these like past traumas or these like, 
yeah, feelings. And so what does it look like to physically watch something unthaw? And so it was a lot about the duration. Like, I think exactly what you said was the, was the goal. Like people would watch it and be like, this is ridiculous. And then you kind of get in, like in this like sort of trance where you're like, what is happening? And then you start thinking about your own thoughts. It's like if you're ever in yoga and you stay in the pose for a really long time, like your brain just like wanders and your body's like doing all the work. I was kind of doing all the work and I was hoping that your, your mind would wander somewhere to yourself or to me. Um, and so, yeah. And then people would walk away and then come back. Some people sat with me the whole two hours, which was also mm-hmm. crazy. Um, and so I think the goal of the piece was, yeah, to create space again for contemplation. Um, but also like to, to put on display a feeling that I often don't know how to describe to people. I think depression sits on people's shoulders or on their chest or in their mind or on their heart really differently. And for me, it often feels like, yeah, it just feels like watching ice melt where you're like, well, there's another drop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe if I breathe on it, it'll go faster. Like maybe if I rub it on my thigh, it'll like melt quicker. Like it, it felt like a lot of like trying. And then there were some mm-hmm. parts in the performance where I would just like, you know, put it on a, my leg and like lay down and like let it be there and not try hard. Um, mm-hmm. And the intention of the piece when I set out for it, it happened at an opening with two other artists. Um, yeah, Brandy Boyd Fox actually, who uh, Nikki knows, and she invited me into her show to do a piece, which was really special. So I kind of yeah. had just created this in this specific time and space, and I had never. I hadn't done live performance in a long time. So it was a really cool re-entry point. And my first piece that I actually ever did in Rock Hill. Um, and the, the piece was called Transparent. And I guess learning to be more transparent in my wants and desires and needs and feelings. Like I'm, I'm a very deep feeler. <laughs> One person uh, who I was on a team with a couple of years ago used to say like, you should be more concerned if she isn't crying. Like that's <laughs> the problem. Like if she's not shedding tears, you have a version of Danissa that is like, <laughs> you know, way far gone. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, my heart with, with making the piece was kind of just setting out this goal of melting all this ice to get to the heart of these things, vulnerability, you know, love, um, like he- healing through, yeah, therapy and medication, which I firmly believe are gifts from God <laughs> to enter into uh, and take ownership of our own kind of mental health journey. Um, yeah, I think that piece was was wild. It was crazy to like see. I look back at the photos and I'm like, man, people really they committed to watching. They committed to understanding. They had questions. I think it creates. T- I love performances that create this tension. Like you said, you remember me being really cold. Yeah. Like I want people to fight to be like, should we help her? Mm-hmm. You know. Like is that is that part of the goal? Is to like, yeah, help her or it was funny to watch people because I wasn't, I, I was like zoning out of the audience, right? Like I obviously was cognizant of what was going on, but I was very much in my space and I could feel people not wanting to look at me also, which is mm. often how I feel in depression. I'm like hiding in plain sight and it feels like depression is written all over my body and everyone's choosing to ignore it. But then I also feel like, you know, people who know me the best are like, yeah, you're a little different, but it's actually like mostly in your head. <laughs> so really kind of just trying to like, yeah, continue to create a relationship with this thing that comes, you know, pretty yearly for me between, it happens in the fall often, like September, August, September to like January. I just feel the cloud. 
Yeah, I remember you mentioning that before in a conversation. Yeah. Because you moved here in like July or something and you were saying you have that. I'm like, maybe it's going to come. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always curious if she'll come get me. You know, some some season she doesn't. And I'm like, hmm, cool. We, uh, I guess we're doing better together. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then other seasons it comes really hard and it, yeah, it feels unbearable. And sometimes ice, when it's so cold on your body, it feels unbearable, you know, and you don't want help, but you want help. <laughs> Those tensions I think I love wrestling with. Yeah. So could people have come and ha- did people come help you melt it? Nobody helped. Could um, they have? Could people I don't have? Know. I, think I would have jumped off that bridge when we got there. Mm. I think if someone sat next to me and maybe like put their hands out, I would have maybe given them a cube of ice. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I think that's the beauty of like live performance is it's so unpredictable. I think if that was the goal, I would have oriented the performance differently. Oh, like okay. To help me. Um, yeah, I feel like um, I've been at performances where people definitely try to like take it into their own hands and like help the performer and the performer's like, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because that's actually not how you're supposed to respond. <laughs> mm. Interesting. So you just, if you're part of the people watching, you just have to try something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I've, I've definitely been a part of one where there was clear instruction. Like if you wanted to interact with the performance or the performer, you had to take off your shoes. And he was sitting mm-hmm. nude on this like mound of dirt. And above him was birds, like 20 birds in this huge cage, just like suspended above him. Mm-hmm. And you could, this is in Turkey, and you could, there was seeds to plant in the ground and bird seed to feed the birds. And the piece was called cycle. So like basically you're planting seeds, you're feeding the birds, and then the birds are like pooping on the man. And then the man's like in the dirt. And it was kind of like talking about these like life cycles, right? So mm-hmm there were some people who came and they would like clean off all the poop that was on him. Like every so often people would just feel this inclination. One lady tried to give him water because he was just like sitting there for like three hours, like in this oh, wow. like weird trance state. And he just like didn't receive it. He just like stayed in his zone. Um, some people like took the bird cage door away. Some one girl tried to take a bird out of the cage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's like a lot happening. <laughs> I'm often just like curious to know like yeah what are the rules of performance art and how is the artist communicating the rules so I think it was pretty clear and and transparent that the rules were you couldn't come on that like black fabric I was sitting on that felt like you know the stage if you were to say that like this is kind of your boundary as an audience but you could get as close as you wanted to that people didn't people stayed pretty far away from me actually but yeah even just thinking back on it now with all these layers, mm-hmm. it's really interesting to think about, yeah, people staying back and people who wouldn't look at you and what that communicates, you know, for me to translate into my real life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how often maybe as women, we want to be looked at, but we're not, or we're being looked at too much, you know, mm. like there's kind of, I'm always thinking about being too much and not enough. That's like my two, you know, my dichotomy in life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an often, I think, one that women feel specifically, those two kind of pooling points. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true.
Well, Denissa, I also remember <laughs> atten <laughs> attending a short films festival event with Gwen. Yeah. And we were below Amelie's in downtown Rock Hill. And we saw you afterwards. And I remember you asking me something about what I thought about the, the films. And I mentioned that I was trying to figure out why I was feeling such discomfort about two of the films in particular. And you acknowledged that art should make people uncomfortable or something about then it's done its job. And I've thought about that a lot as I've interrogated my discomfort in other areas. But I was wondering if you could kind of expound on that idea of the, the art and the discomfort. For sure. I totally remember that. Um, yeah, my job was put it, put on like a, it's called Art Party. It's a yearly festival. And we had added short films, I think, to the lineup, which was really cool. They were very strange. All of them were really cool and like locally done from artists in Rock Hill, which was awesome. But yeah, I think discomfort is one of those things that we obviously aren't, you know, good at feeling, yeah. uh, especially when it feels like it's crawling up your body, you know, and you want to like jump out of your skin. Mm -hmm. I think, I think about art, like food, right? If you're like eating a burger and you take a bite and you're like, yuck, I hate mustard. Like this is gross. <laughs> How nasty that this is on here. And you kind of just like pick apart what you like and don't like about food. And then you stay away from things with mustard because you don't like that taste. I think art's the same way. Uh, the more you intake and the more you understand, the more you kind of feel like what you like. And I think, I think for certain artists being uncomfortable, making people feel uncomfortable is part of the, the gig or the shtick or like, you know, what's supposed to happen. I had an art teacher in high school that told me, touch everything. If, if you see a desk in a gallery, try to open those drawers. He was like, if the artist didn't want you to open the drawers, they would bolt them shut. And so I think it's the same thing that there's these pushing of boundaries. And I think if I'm thinking about artists who are, you know, feel uncomfortable in their bodies or in their communities, maybe some of it is like wanting other people to feel the way they feel. And to kind of understand just for a minute, maybe a three minute short film, what it feels like to be them, kind of what that mm -hmm. other artist was saying, like to put, to, to create a space or a piece or visual, something to, to create understanding of, of what, of an artist's self to show something. And I think some of the best tension in art for me is like those pieces that you can't look at it and you can't look away from it, like a car mm -hmm. accident, you know, there's something that we're, we're drawn to to watch, but we can't, but it hurts us. And I think we like some of that pain mm -hmm. um, sometimes. And so I think uncomfortability is something that artists play a lot with because it's kind of easy to make a person who's not an artist feel uncomfortable. Mm. You know, like we're uncomfortable with silence. We're uncomfortable with awkwardness. We're uncomfortable about sex, about money, about, <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. There's so many things in America that people are so uncomfortable talking about, which feels wild to me uh, just as a person and so I think sometimes maybe artists forget that they talk about these things all the time but their you know closest friends don't think about them mm. I was talking to an, a, a, a Chicago-based uh, choreographer actually that I met recently and we were talking about like when you're just so steeped in art culture whether that's like yeah politically correct language or queer culture or you know any of these big topics and you forget who like the other people don't think about this all the time. Mm. 
And they're like, oh my gosh, you're so radical. And you're like, oh, this is my like normal thought. <laughs> like I'm not trying to do anything extreme. I think we just can often be like seen as extreme because the world's kind of mundane and artists bring a lot of diversity and complexity to it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think even you mentioning earlier, like the otherness of mm -hmm. artists and, you know, as you've talked about the art community and people within that, I was curious if you could talk about how you've seen art bring people together. Yeah. I think some of it is like, you know, that moment brought us together, right? Even if it was kind of passing between moments, like that that's a conversation you've thought about a lot that I probably, you know, I just think I'm always trying to make art accessible to people that, you know, what we've talked about, they don't have to get it. They can kind of just feel their own feelings. And so I think some of it for me is conversation. I've seen art bring people together through, yeah, meals, common goals. Um, I've seen it break barriers and comfort levels. I think a lot of the art that I create about like experience or the, the audience, uh, they activate the space, they make it uh, come alive. Like a lot of my work wouldn't exist if there wasn't people to see it or people to, um, yeah, touch it or feel it or interact with it physically. I think I've seen it come, yeah, people get what they need from it. Like this, for example, this thing about uncomfortability, like that one or two short films, whether whatever they were about, they challenged your viewpoint on yourself and your current world, right? Mm. They like kind of gave you space to think and feel in a new way. And I think that's like the power of art. And I think groups like, you know, there's a group in Rock Hill that has local artists and then artists across the U.S. called WAMA. It stands for We Also Make Art. Like there's something when, it, when a group of artists comes together to organize, to collaborate, to promote, that brings like validity to what we're doing. Um, I think the same with Friday Arts Project, the um, nonprofit I was working for, uh, kind of where we met and shows that you've been to. Yeah, this goal of, of organizing time and space around art and around community and that the point is to go deeper and do more I think that's how I've seen art bring people together it's just by like doing together yeah well and how have you personally used art to bring people together yeah I think transparent is a good example I think that mm. is more like people seeing me versus maybe like art fully bringing people together I think the unique thing about the work that I make like for example, this piece called Take What You Need, um, it toured a little bit in Rock Hill and Charlotte actually like in last year and a little bit of this year in 2020, but I performed it like four times and two of which were solo and two had a couple other performers in it. But basically this piece I created actually because I created another piece before it, which is so cool when pieces kind of just flow out of one another. But I made this piece in direct response to what I thought the community in Rock Hill needed. Mm. And so my friends, you know, my peers, my, you know, people that were older than me. And so I just created this, like these wearable sculptures that were like dresses essentially that had pockets in them. And I just wanted to stand there like a statue and say, take what you need. Mm. The whole piece like wouldn't be anything if like people didn't come and take what they needed, right? And so I think the rules of the performance kind of became clear that when they asked me anything else or when they, you know, made any comments or talked to me, I would just repeat, like, take what you need. And my hands were like by my side open. 
and in the pockets were things like, you know, decision or a call from a mom or patience, like some of these kind of like just generic feeling words. And then in the pocket were metaphors to those things. Like, so the one for decision was like a little dice that you would, I would say like, think of a decision you need to make. And then they would roll it and the dice was in Turkish. And I would just like translate kind of like a magic eight ball. Mm. And then my, my mom was on the phone. And so they would take the headphones out of the pocket and I would just say like, say hello. And my mom would just be like, hi, how are you? Like, what's been going uh. on? And like, just for like two hours, she would just sit there on the phone, like talking to different people. And so I think I've seen, for me, art has, art comes together when the people get to really activate the space and, and my philosophy with, you know, this radical empathy or radical softness is using it as like a weapon to kind of like bring people in and love them and make them feel known and let them know that they're fully allowed to be their biggest self. And I've seen like transformation. I mean, I, people have cried from that piece and they've seen stuff that didn't even exist in the piece, you know, like they're projecting their emotions because it's so much of a blank canvas, if you will, to like insert yourself. And so I think I've seen my own art bring deeper senses of, yeah, community, togetherness, relationship. Like I've, I think friendship has formed around my art uh, with with people who interact with it and people who post about it online. And, and then I message those people and I'm like, what'd you think? And they're like, it was cool. And I'm like, great. You want to get coffee? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, awesome. And then, you know, the, the friendship lives outside of the, you know, the one time gallery show. Yeah. Okay. I want to tear up thinking about your mom because <laughs> one, she's one of the loveliest humans that I've had the pleasure of knowing because I remember you brought her to my birthday lunch because yeah. <laughs> she was in town and I was just so drawn to her and then I got to talk to her at your performance and so I love that she just sat there on the phone and yeah just think of the people who needed that oh so beautiful so and then beautiful. she's so down she's always down a clown with me I'm like mom can you do this thing and she's like yeah when <laughs> and then uh, after the first time we actually performed it in the same space uh where the film was in Amelie's um with Wama. that was the first time I performed it in the summer of 2019 and my mom was on the phone for like the opening was like two hours and she talked to so many people and she was like, when can we do it again? <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I've created like a performance, you know, like monster. She like wants to keep performing. Um, we've made a couple pieces together, um, which has been really cool. Just, we look a lot alike and I think a lot about becoming her in the best way. Like when people are like, oh my gosh, you're going to be so beautiful when you're older. And I'm like, I know, like <laughs> look at that skin. I'm like, she's perfect. <laughs> um, so I, I, yeah, I really adore her. She's always been my best friend and she's always like loved and accepted me just as I am. And, you know, I've asked her to do crazy things and she's like, okay, sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She radiates radical empathy, softness. The spirit yeah. of that is definitely inside of her. And, um, yeah, she's, she's a world changer and I'm utterly grateful. She is my mom. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I see all of that in her too. And just the, the short interactions, but, um, Denissa, why do you think art is able to bring people together like it does? I think because it's authentic, right? I think it's like what that artist said, um, what you read earlier, like it's someone bringing a vulnerability to the table 
and then letting other people into it. I think it's, yeah, I think people love that it can sometimes be something that you touch or something that you keep. Um, I often think about this kind of question. When I was in college, I, I spent a lot of time at the Museum of Fine Arts because my school was attached to it. And I remember standing in the Art of the Americas, you know, like on a random Tuesday afternoon, and me and this other woman were standing in front of a painting of the Garden of Eden. It's this incredibly large painting um, from a very long time ago. This is very accurate information. <laughs> this really great painting, and I normally don't connect to paintings, which I know, yes, haters come at me. I just really, it takes a lot for a painting to speak to me, but I, I try to pay attention to them even when they're hard to know. And this painting, like Adam and Eve are probably like no joke, like an inch tall, honestly. And the painting is probably like four feet by three feet. Like it's a huge painting of the vastness of the, of the, of the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve are tiny. And I remember standing there with this woman who I don't know, right? She's like older, like my grandma's age. Like she's just older. And we're both looking at the painting, like completely in awe, just like fully entranced in it. And I remember looking at her and I, I just think like, pointed at the painting and like made a face like, Whew, like this and she was like I know and then we just had this moment of like experiencing this thing that we were both looking at I think that we both had never seen before and probably hadn't both thought about in that way that the artist was presenting and I think that you know that's one way artists bring art brings people together is just the commonality like we could look at this painting and be from completely different times and spaces and generations but we were like relating because we were, our eyes were both intaking you know the pigment on the page in the same light in the same moment and I think yeah I think that's how art brings people together it's like a a place to start right like we could just sit here and talk about uh, something we've both seen right and and then spiral off into other conversations and I think there's something powerful about how it draws us in and then pulls us apart and then yeah, stays in our mind and then we can like keep talking about it. I can probably talk about performances that I've been a part of that I hated that still stick with me because I think about them a lot or, or um, yeah, we love to share our experiences, I think, as people. And so human to human, we can just like share what we saw or experienced and then have this moment of, yeah, collective effervescence. If you've heard that term, it's like if you're at a concert and everyone puts up their phone and starts waving their hands or whatever. There's like a collective moment because we're all sharing the same thing at the same time. I think art just has that power of, of, of showing people themselves and each other. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing about that specific interaction with the Adam and Eve painting. And I feel like it really leads into the next question. And, you know, we have a few questions before wrapping up here, but, what advice do you have for people as they engage with art? Take it slow. I would say engage with a lot of different kinds of art. Ask a lot of questions. Uh, spend time with it. You know, someone spent hours, months, even years on the piece that you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like ask yourself why you liked it or didn't like it. And I think, I think each person is capable of getting something from any piece and it could be what the artist intended it could be you know something you thought about that morning it could be something that's you know probing your heart to kind of go deeper and I think the risk of putting work in the world is that it might go 
out and not come back the way you expected. Mm -hmm. But I think that every piece will land in some space of someone's life, whether it's like, that was cool. And then you sort of move on or some of it is like, yeah, deeper. And I think, I guess I would like challenge people to not be afraid. Mm -hmm. I think what we talked about, like you don't have to get it, whatever it is. Um, the artist isn't trying to like trick you <laughs> or, um, you know, dupe you or kind of be Houdini. They're really just wanting to show you something. And so just like in a conversation, like how would you listen to them? And yeah, let the art challenge you, I guess, is what I would say um, for people. Yeah, that seems very fitting for our conversation. <laughs> um, well, Denissa, what is your hope for the art community? Wow, I have so many hopes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hope it would be like less competitive and more celebratory. I think there's, you know, only so many shows and so many grants and so many uh, opportunities for artists. And so I wish that we would really kind of come together and instead of feeling like only one person could sit at the table, that really the, the art table is huge, multi-layered <laughs> and really complex. And so I would hope that we would celebrate one another and that artists would also be respected by the outside as culture shapers, culture influences. I mean, come on, like history is defined by art movements when we look mm -hmm. back, right? And so I think I would love for everyone to respect the arts that are happening and unfolding in current present day times. Like we don't have to wait till the artist is dead to think they're important. Mm -hmm. uh, we can, yeah, uh, understand and kind of, spend time with the art now and celebrate it. I think that would help artists feel valued when people think and celebrate their work. You know, I feel like Mario where I just like leveled up when you said you think about my work. I'm like, oh my gosh, well I have to make more so she can have more to think about. You know, it feels like this very encouraging, validating thing when when people are are thinking of us as yeah, real humans in the world. This is a real creating art is a real job. It's not yeah. like um this thing that doesn't take any effort for some people it's effortless some people rise and shine and can like you know draw a realistic drawing but for me it's like I have to be in the right mood it has to be the right climate outside <laughs> I have to be very like well fed and <laughs> excited you know like it's it's nuanced for me to create and so I think for yeah to, to for it to be validated as a real career that is transforming people's lives I mean people cry at artworks, you know, people, uh, feel, and I think that's mm. so important in our current world. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't come to the take what you need, but I saw videos and yeah, I wish I had been there. <laughs> like Maybe when I watched them. City near you. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, what is one action that people listening can commit to to bring your hopes to fruition? I would say look at art. And that's, yeah. And then I would say encourage your artist friends. Like if you have a friend who is an artist or if you know an artist, like ask them what they're working on. I think like what you're doing here, just like, oh my gosh, you just gave me so much time to say a bunch of things that were like, you know, planned and unplanned. And that helps my brain kind of, yeah, reiterate and to think my own thoughts. I think, yeah, when people give me any time of day to talk about my work, I'm always very grateful. And I feel celebrated. I feel really um, 
yeah, known when people are like, well, why did you make that? Or what prompted you to make that? Or why that color? And sometimes it's like, I don't know, I just did it. And sometimes it's like, oh, I was thinking about this for months, you know, and it was very specific. And so, yeah, I would say engage with, engage your artist friends um, by looking at their work, by asking them about it and, you know, by buying it, buy artwork. Mm -hmm. I think that's like the most loving thing to do uh, for any artist. Yeah, for sure. Well, Denissa, I want to, one, thank you for broadening the narrative for me about art. And also, thank you for coming on the show and sharing about your art and how you bring people together through your art. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm like hugging myself. I'm in quarantine. I'm often just like, you know, when I like see people from a socially distant view, I'm like restraining myself from running towards them and hugging them. So now I'm just like, oh, yes, thank you. I'm hugging myself. This is beautiful. That's right. You're a hugger. Like you love hugs. And so, yeah, I am too. And this has been real tough. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your beautiful questions. I want to thank Sequina Murray for the voice clip she sent to me for the episode intro. You can purchase her music on Bandcamp at bandy17.bandcamp.com. Her music is available on most streaming services under the name Bandy. I also want to thank Jordan Lukens for his help with editing and Daniel Boland for creating the episode graphic. Please subscribe and review the show, but only if you're planning on leaving a five-star review. Otherwise, you can just skip this part. You can access the Broadening the Narrative blog by visiting broadeningthenarrative.blogspot.com and you can find the Broadening the Narrative page on Instagram by searching for at Broadening the Narrative and on Twitter by searching for at Broad Narrative. I hope that if you know and love me, you can engage with the Broadening the Narrative blog, social media accounts, and podcast, as well as any recommended resources. Then you can share with people who know and love you. And little by little, person by person, we can broaden the narrative. Grace and peace, friends.